As blockchain and cryptocurrency continue to dominate headlines, more and more questions continue to be raised. Adam Swick is the managing director of the crypto hedge fund Swick Capital and appeared at a recent Ivy Ideas Night in Chicago where he gave an introduction to both. This talk was a fantastic entrance into the world of blockchain and crypto for the newly initiated and a wonderful refresher for those who are just now dipping their feet into the market. It's a talk that you can only hear here on the Ivy Podcast. Great, thank you very much. Very kind words. The bad news is this presentation has a lot of boring stuff in it, and I tried to pepper in some fun facts to keep the energy alive, and you guys just ran through most of the fun facts. So we'll be having a lot of boring talk. So get excited. So here to talk about blockchains and cryptocurrency, to quickly recap who I am, uh, originally from Ohio, went to Penn, BCG, Pritzker Group, Kellogg, now I run my own crypto hedge fund here in Chicago. Other things, I really like uh, eating at restaurants in Chicago, so I try to eat at a new restaurant every weekend. I really like tennis, paddle tennis, and that's a little bit about me. If you'd like to chat with me afterwards, I'm happy to talk blockchain or about any of those things. So to start, a little bit of an overview of what I hope to cover tonight is, first of all, what is blockchain and what is Bitcoin? This is a, a topic that is very easy to understand, but very easy to get confused along that path to easy understanding. So just for me to get a sense of the room, if I won't do it, but if I were to call on you, who here could explain what a blockchain was? Excellent. Cool. Thank you. Next, we're going to talk about what is mining, which I'm sure a lot of you have heard of. Then we'll talk about what is crypto more broadly. I'll give you some cocktail party ammo, some of the hot topics that you can keep in your back pocket. So if you are ever talking to somebody about blockchain or crypto, you can mention one of these topics and take either side of point of view and people will be impressed. And then we'll talk about blockchain in the broader world and maybe where I think it's going. So to start out, we'll talk about what is Bitcoin and what is blockchain. And these two things are intertwined because Bitcoin was the first use of blockchain technology, and this will hopefully become clear. So to start, as we mentioned, blockchain, Bitcoin has its origins going back to this lovely forum post, which was posted anonymously by a forum user called Satoshi Nakamoto back in February 11th, 2009. And what he said was, hey, everyone on the internet, I've been working on this cool idea for a digital currency. I think it's pretty neat read my nine-page white paper. And that's all that it was. And it was picked up by tons of other computer programmers from around the world. They all worked together to develop what Bitcoin is today. And and the fun part about this is that Satoshi Nakamoto, nobody knows who, what this is. And so there's rumors that it's a guy, there's rumors that it's a girl, there's rumors that it's a group of people. But it's part of the fun of Bitcoin and blockchain is that it's, yes, revolutionary technology, but also kind of fun mystery game because there's, there's person, persons out there named Satoshi Nakamoto, because he was the first person to get into this, Satoshi's wallet, which you can look up online, has a million Bitcoin in it, which is worth about $8 billion today. And none of that money has ever moved. And so you can look up this wallet and you can see, be essentially like looking up a Chase account, seeing that there's $8 million in it and seeing that no transactions have ever taken place. So there's someone out there, a group of people who has a control of $8 billion and has chosen never to touch it, which is kind of fun to think about. Maybe fun is not the right word. So here is my one sentence definition of what I think a blockchain is. And there's some key words in here which we're going to tackle one by one. But this is the one sentence go-to. And this is my definition. And so I call a blockchain a distributed... This is going to be confusing, but we'll step through it word by word. Blockchain is a distributed public ledger of all transactions that have ever taken place. And so the key words here are ledger. We'll step into that very basic thing. 
Distributed is the key innovation that blockchain brought. And then to, we will expand to notice the similarity of these sentences. The Bitcoin blockchain is distributed public ledger of all Bitcoin transactions that ever, have ever taken place. So that's the interplay between those two words, Bitcoin and blockchain. Blockchain is the ledger, and Bitcoin was the first thing that was kept track of on one of these ledgers. This is one of those things to understand. There's a lot of pieces. Each piece of the puzzle is very easy to understand, but as you understand one piece, it's going to raise more questions. So I'm going to power through like three or four more slides and then ask for some questions. But hopefully your questions are answered in these next three or four, and then we'll go a level deeper. So to start with one of these highlighted words, ledger. This is all a ledger is, a collection of transactions and accounts. And so just like in Accounting 101 class, if we would have taken a ledger, if we have Adam sent Mitch one Bitcoin, Mitch sent David half a Bitcoin, Mitch sent Ann half a Bitcoin, Ann sent Adam 0.1 Bitcoins. If we have the entire record of all transactions that have ever taken place, we can read through it and figure out who has what. And so for the math whizzes among us, the answer to this one at the end, uh, this should say, yep, David has half a Bitcoin, Ian has 0.4 Bitcoins, and Adam has 0.1 Bitcoins. So this is, like I said, this is very simple to understand, and we're going to layer more on top of it. But this is the idea of a ledger. And so when people say blockchain, I want you to picture this. Granted, the Bitcoin blockchain is thousands, tens of thousands, maybe millions of lines long, and so we use our computers to read through it and sum it up very quickly. But this is all it is. The key innovation here, if you, if you remember going back to the initial slides, I said it's a ledger, but the important thing is that it's a distributed ledger. And so what does that mean? You can ignore the small text. In the normal world, we have centralized ledgers, whereas there's a bunch of parties interacting, and there's one person in the middle who's keeping track of the ledger. So think of Chase as my bank. Chase is the one person keeping track of my bank account. When I want to know how much is in my checking account, I call Chase, and they say, let me sum up all of your transactions. This is how much is in your checking account. Uh, when I want to know who owns a house in the city of Chicago, I go to City Hall, and they say, well, this house was built in 2000 by Alex. He sold it to Dave in 2010, and he sold it to Adam in 2017, so Adam must own the house. But City Hall is the one that's keeping track of that record. The innovation of blockchain is they said, why have one central party control that? Why don't we have tens of thousands of people around the world keep track of the same ledger? And so today, Chase, I have to trust Chase to get their records right. I have to trust City Hall to keep their records right. Suddenly, if I have tens of thousands of people around the world keeping track of that same ledger, if someone screws up, if someone tries to lie, the other 9,999 can say, you're wrong, we're going to go this way because this is what we believe is correct. And so that is the big innovation here. So we have a ledger that's distributed. And the impact of that is that it removes the need for trusted third parties. And so suddenly you no longer need a bank. You know, I no longer have to trust Chase for them to keep track of all my records. Because these records are public on the internet. My computer can very quickly sum them up and tell how much money I have. Going back to the City Hall example. Suddenly, anyone could access this public record, see the movement of ownership of house, and understand who owns the house. Other third parties that are investigating this world but could get disrupted is if you imagine Western Union. If you want to send money internationally, I have to give it to Western Union. Western Union is that trusted third party that's going to move the money across borders for me, give it to someone else, and charge an exorbitant fee to do so. Blockchain could, in theory, remove the need for that third party. PayPal buying on eBay. The whole reason PayPal was invented was to be a trusted third party. 
because how do I know if I send goods through the mail for an eBay, eBay product, how do I know that I'm going to get the product? When should I pay them? PayPal was created to say, we will hold the money to make sure you get the product, then we will pay the person. Suddenly you don't need people like them. And this will, this will expand to things like Facebook and Google. How many times online have you logged into a website where you hit log in with Facebook, log in with Google, because Facebook and Google own your identity online, and you can use that identity and port it around to different apps and websites. Imagine a world where that is now controlled solely by you on a blockchain, and so when Facebook, Google, Target gets hacked, Equifax gets hacked, that doesn't happen with the blockchain when it's you controlling your own data. That is the distributed ledger which removes the need for trusted third parties, which is all a blockchain and is those three pieces coming together. And so to illustrate that, this is literally a Snapchat. You can, like I said, this is all online. Anybody can go to a website, click on it, and see the list of all transactions happening. And so this is literally a snapshot that I took. And what you'll see is it's just a running list. If this were a live connection to the website, it would be scrolling very fast of just transaction after transaction of these Bitcoins being sent. And instead of it saying Adam sent Mitch one Bitcoin, it's going to be these crazy numbers, which we'll talk about later, sent to Bitcoin somewhere else. Now, the implications of this are interesting, because if you think back, like I said, this is a ledger of every transaction that has ever taken place. So in a world where you buy your Starbucks coffee with this, block, with this blockchain, it will forever be recorded that you spent four bucks on a coffee at Starbucks on this date and time, and it was this much money, and that will always be there. And this will get to the conversation that we have later of the pros and cons of that, because I can imagine you're on either side. And so other things this can empower is this is a, a double click, again, just perusing online throughout the blockchain ledger. What you will see here is on January 26, 2018, somebody sent 40,000 Bitcoin, which let me check my notes, was worth about half a billion dollars. They sent it at 10 p.m. on a Friday, and it cost them less than a dollar to send. And so again, to think about the implications of this, if I, want, if I had a half a billion dollars right now, do you know how hard it would be for me to move that money? How many people would be involved? If I wanted to do it on a Friday night at 10 p.m., that would absolutely not happen. If I want to cash a check on Friday night at 5.01 p.m., that doesn't happen. And so these are some of the things that this world is empowering. A story that comes up every year when the price of Bitcoin spikes, a guy accidentally threw his, away his hard drive, which has 7,500 Bitcoins on it, oh, worth 60 million today. He knows the dump where it's at, and he's just deciding how much effort to put into trying to find this hard drive, which is now the local garbage facility told him should be about 120 feet below the surface, based upon when he threw it away. For the third fun back, back to redundancy, which we'll get into mining, but right now the, computing, the combined computing power of the top 500 supercomputers in the world yields a power of about one exaflop, which is a really high number, it's a 10 with 18 zeros, like transactions taking place. The Bitcoin network has a computing power of 2,000, over 2,000 exaflops. So this is a lot of computing power, which some argue is being wasted, some say is a sacrifice needed to uh, achieve that trustless ledger. So the question that was a common theme among a lot of those that you brought up is what is mining? And so mining is the forging of new Bitcoins and it is absolutely neither of these things. It is this, it is a bunch of ugly computers stacked on racks, making a little whirring sound and getting really hot. What is mining? Mining, one of these tens of thousands of people around the world that have elected to help keep track of this ledger. In the beginning, any of us could do it with our laptop and your CPU was actually the one helping to keep track of this. Somebody smart said, actually your graphics card could be a lot 
better at this, more efficient, and so people started mining with their graphics cards. Today, a lot of people are mining with specialized equipment called ASICs, which is an application-specific integrated circuit. This is a very oversimplified example, but hopefully this gets us to where we need to be. What the miners are doing is, number one, these computers are racing to solve a difficult math problem. Simultaneously, they're listening to all transactions being broadcast. So that would be like me sitting up here on a whiteboard, trying to solve a really hard math problem. In the background, you guys are yelling like, hey, I want to send Jim a Bitcoin. I'm Dan. And I'm like, all right, let me let that, write that down. And then I keep trying to solve the math problem. What happens is whichever of the, one of those computers solves the math problem yells out to the other 10,000 computers, hey, I found the answer to the math problem. The math problem is built in such a way that it is very difficult to solve the math problem but very easy to verify the solution of the math problem. The best example I'd heard is, imagine trying to, if I asked you all, it's like a fifth grade math thing that I had to even look up, but imagine like try, if I asked you to find all of the prime factors of the number 123. You'd be like, oh my God, how am I even gonna do that? But if I gave you the numbers like two, three, three, five, you could multiply those together and be like, huh, that's 123. The other computers are able to very quickly decide if you had the right answer. And the math problem is, is, is in such a way, miners, these computers, uh, are, are brute forcing the answer. So there's no way to like work through it in a formula. You just guess answers and see if you get it right. Whichever computer gets it right says, hey, I got it right. All the other computers say, yes, you did get it right. And they say, what are the list of transactions that you would like to add onto the blockchain? They all say, okay, we agree with those. They add them onto the bottom of the ledger and then they do it again. So that is, at a, at a very high level, what is happening. Race to solve a math problem, say these are, the, these are the things that I've heard, all the other computers agree, add it onto the ledger. And this is happening over and over again. The specific, some more details. This difficult math problem, the algorithm behind the blockchain, is readjusting itself to make sure it's solved about every 10 minutes. So as I mentioned, computers are brute forcing this, just guessing answers. So if we have a very simple math problem and all of a sudden we throw a ton of computers at it, it's gonna be solved really fast. Conversely, if we have a ton of computers focused on the math problem and suddenly a bunch of computers stop, it's gonna take forever to solve that math problem. And so this problem is self-adjusting to make sure it's solved about every 10 minutes. So you heard me say that my electricity bill went up really high. What are the miners getting? They're getting a minor reward. The algorithm is actually paying the miner that solved the new Bitcoin. So the miners are rewarded if they find that next block. Uh, and so th that's where the terminology comes in. Uh, you solve the math problem, you get to add a chunk of transactions, a block of transactions. And if we have a chain of those blocks, we have a blockchain. And so that's what's happening here. So again, to dig a little deeper here, the only way that new, new Bitcoins are created is once one of these miners finds a new block about every 10 minutes. All the other ones you can trace back. So every Bitcoin, you can trace back to the miner that found it. Going back to that ledger, you can see that I paid him for dinner, he paid him, he paid him, and it goes all the way back to, boom, on this day at this time, a miner solved the math problem and they were granted that Bitcoin. The specifics to that in the early days, that reward was 50 Bitcoins every 10 minutes. That halves about every, uh, I forget the number, every like seven-ish years, I think. I forget, don't quote me on that number. Right now, the reward is 12 and a half Bitcoins. So Bitcoin's trading at around $8,000 right now. So that's like $80,000 that's being distributed to someone every 10 minutes. 
These miners, like I said, are listening to all the transactions that are going on out there. There's obviously a lot of them. They can only listen to so much. Uh, in fact, the block that they get to add on to the end of the ledger is one megabyte. Uh, and so if I tell them, hey, miners, please include my $20 payment, they, they might listen to that one. They might not. They're hearing a lot of things. But if I say, hey, miners, include my $20 payment in your next block, and here's like 50 cents for you, they'll be like, oh, okay, I picked that one to include it. So it's a trade-off between if you want your transaction processed in the next 10 minutes, you have to, incre you have to attach to your transaction a like bribe uh, to these miners to include yours. But if you're really indifferent about when it takes place, then you don't have to pay as much and you don't have to bribe, bribe them. As we saw, tons of computer power is going, to get, going into this. I think when I plugged in my one miner in my apartment, I ran the math, and I was going to be expected to find my first block about one every 125 years, which did not work out for me with the $200 electricity bill. So you'll see miners did a smart thing. They start to operate in pools. And so they'll say, let's all combine our computing power. And then whenever any of us gets a reward, we'll distribute that based upon how much computing power you contributed. And so if we each contribute half of the computing power, we'll split the rewards and so forth. And so you'll hear the word mining pools, and that's what that is. Interesting, fun things. Recent malware has actually embedded in various websites will actually borrow your computer to mine cryptocurrency. And so in like, instead of stealing your identity or stealing anything from you, they're stealing your computing power to mine cryptocurrency for themselves. And again, one of the trade-offs, the recent stat when I looked up on Friday, I think, is we could power 6.6 .6 million US households with the electricity currently being used to, mine, uh, to maintain the Bitcoin network, which is a lot of households. And so again, wasteful, yes, probably. Is it worth it for the trustlessness? Who knows? So that's the argument to be had. So that is mining. How do we feel about mining very quickly? And I'm also running out of time. Yeah, and so there's a bunch of different math problems depending on the cryptocurrency. They all have different algorithms behind them, and this gets into like the really intense cryptography in terms of like SHA-256 is one, script is a different one, and so they all have pros and cons. I am a I could talk at a high level. I could not go deep there, unfortunately. I just had a quick question for comparison purposes. But is mining like, um, when you think of it like a stock market, where like that math problem is like in the stock market when you're trying to like get to like where you sell or something like that, or everybody's price you're trying to write an answer, so it can get that stock? Yeah, is it like the stock market? I mean, sort of, not really. I mean, the stock market, you're all competing for established goods and like prices and bidding. Here, it's just purely throwing electricity powers to actually maintain. Like, in the stock market, you're doing nothing to maintain the New York Stock Exchange, if that makes sense. Like, the New York Stock Exchange has its own servers, and it is a centralized, trusted third party. This is not that, uh, but similar. Um, when you said that miners are rewarded with the kind of block to get twelve and a half half Bitcoin, yeah. is that something where just, like, everyone agrees that this person now has 12 and a half more Bitcoin? Exactly, yes. So the miners... So, again, everybody that's going along and agrees with everything that's happening in Bitcoin will, yes, agree that that miner found the correct math problem, will agree that to accept whatever transactions that miner heard, and will agree that that miner now has 12 and a half Bitcoin. Is that Bitcoin created by essentially the like 50 cents you send them for, say, report by transaction, and a collection of that creates... The yeah, so the transaction fee is actually on top of those 12 and a half Bitcoin. So the algorithm is issuing uh, the miner 12 and a half Bitcoin, and then they get to keep any of the bribe transaction fees on top of that 12 and a half Bitcoin. Okay. So who are these miners? Are doing a lot of electricity? 
Yeah, so these miners are people with a lot of cheap electricity. And so I like became interested, so I bought like 10 of them for fun and mine are sitting in a steel facility in Kentucky, uh, which had some spare electricity. Uh, and so that's where mine are. A lot of them are in China uh, for two reasons. Number one, uh, China can produce them uh, cheap because these are like motherboards and stuff like that. And secondly, because there's very cheap electricity there. Um, yes. Yeah, like yes. And again, it's a beautiful thing. You can Google it and you can actually see where everything is because all the information's all out there. So new bitcoins are created by miners, but how are the original ones allocated? Yeah, the original one was Satoshi and one other person each contributed their computing power to do this. And so his a million, his, her, their a million bitcoins were because they were mining and no one else was. Yeah, where does machine learning come into play? That I do not know. It is the algorithm as such, like I said, has to be brute forced, uh, has to be guessed, so there's no really better way to do it. The big fear uh, that people have for mining is quantum computing, which can solve these way quicker than the current devices. That's the bigger fear for mining. Great question. Uh, so has the number of groups mining consolidated in any, any way? Yes, so they form these pools. And if you remember me saying in the beginning that there's 10,000 miners out there and if one disagrees, the other 9,999 will say, no, we're going to go this way. What if 5,001 say, let's screw the other 4,999? That's a problem. It's called a 51% attack. So if any time a group controls 51% of the mining power, probabilities suggest that they will solve 51% of the blocks, which means they can rewrite history. Anything that's happened in the past, they can change, they can take anyone's Bitcoins. And so it's an interesting thought problem to think through in the sense of, that sounds good, maybe I should pair up with a lot of people to get 51% of the power, and we can take all of the Bitcoins for ourselves. Where do Bitcoins have value? Why do Bitcoins have value? They only have value because we ascribe value to them because people demand them. So if someone sees that you got 51% of the mining power and rewrote history, no one will demand bitcoins, and you suddenly spent a ton of electricity dollars to control something that's now worthless, if that makes sense. It's like this fine balance, and so you'll have these pools forming, and you'll actually have these pools kicking people out if they start to approach like a 40% power number, because they don't want to reach 51%. Yeah, and so it goes back, so this idea of your public and private key, that username, those crazy numbers that you saw, I, sorry, I should have spoke with this earlier, good question, uh, you have your public address, which is like your username, and the only way to access that is your private key, public key, private key is the language for username and password, and so you need that private key to get in there, which is just as ridiculous as numbers as we saw earlier, and if you lose that private key, it's gone forever. Um, and so a safe way to do it, uh, if you have it online and your computer gets hacked, somebody can find that private key and it's gone. So it's very common, one of the safest ways is to actually keep that private key on an external storage device that is not connected to the internet. Then if you lose that, you're never getting them back. You there's 12 and a half uh, new Bitcoin mined or issued every 10 minutes. Is there a maximum number that's going to be issued in the life of the world? 
Great question. So the, the algorithm is going to keep having the Bitcoin rewards until we get to 21 million Bitcoin, and they're no, long, no more Bitcoins are going to be issued. They, the theory, so first of all, that'll happen in about 2140, the year 2140. The theory there is that the transaction fees, the bribes, will be enough to sustain the ecosystem and incentivize the miners. We will see, but it'll continue to have, right now, 17 million have already been printed, and so there's only 4 million more to go. Dollarize and establish how lucrative mining is from in financial terms. Yeah. We... So yeah, to to how decide how lucrative mining is, very easy. There's like three inputs: the cost of your hardware, the cost of the electricity, and how difficult the current mining is. And there are online calculators where you type that in. The thing that you you can't control the mining difficulty. You can control the price of the hardware you're buying and the price of your electricity. You type in those two numbers, and it tells you pretty matter-of-factly how profitable it is. And the key driver there is electricity. And so last I checked, when I bought mine like in March, at 10 cents a kilowatt hour, you were like gonna break even. And then like at six cents a kilowatt hour, it gets exciting. China and other places are operating at like one fractions of a cent per kilowatt hour. All right. Ready for a 10 minute overview of crypto and then a 10 minute overview of everything that's happening in the space that you can talk about at Cocktail. So we've talked about Bitcoin and blockchain, other things that are out there. There's over 1,700 tokens out there. The total market cap of all of these tokens are about $300 billion. Bitcoin makes up about $120 billion of that market cap. Here's a list of some of the other tokens out there. You'll notice that they're a little different. Uh, to the point over there, there's the coin called Bitcoin Cash. That was a group of people that said, this is dumb that we only have one megabyte blocks and that we can only process seven transactions per second. Instead of one megabyte blocks, let's make it like 10 megabyte blocks and we'll be able to do a lot more transactions per second. Some people agreed, some people disagreed. It ended up forking the blockchain and that's where we got Bitcoin Cash. Ethereum is another very popular one. Bitcoin has established itself as this digital gold, this store of value. Ethereum is a programmable digital token that you can actually program apps on top of and computer programs to then run. Instead of hitting refresh on your Excel page and having your computer run all the calculations of Excel, imagine hitting refresh and having tens of thousands of computers refresh your Excel for you. That may sound dumb and useless, but and maybe it is in that example, but there are, things, there are times when that is powerful. Litecoin says, why are we waiting 10 minutes for a transaction to be confirmed? And they said, let's make it like 10 seconds. And so that's what they did. They literally hit copy paste on the Bitcoin code, changed the number 10 minutes to 10 seconds to say that a math problem is going to be solved every 10 seconds. There's 1,600. You should dig in, I guess, 1,700. Things that crypto tokens can do. This is the point I want to hammer home if you take nothing away from this talk. Yes, they are a medium of exchange. Yes, they're a way you can pay people. That is a thing they do. Yes, they are a store of value. You can invest in them. But the big thing, and so you try to compare it to gold. You try to compare it to currencies. But the new thing is that it's enabling these decentralized applications in a way that's never been done before. And so it's removing that need for that trusted third party. And I used a lot of examples of banks and whatnot. But this extends to, again, Facebook controls. Facebook controls all the data. Imagine if there was a decentralized Facebook, which no one controlled. And if people disagreed with how things are going, they could fork out, copy and paste that Facebook code and have new Facebook and say, everybody that wants to come with us, come with us. Everybody that doesn't, does it. It's a very complicated world that once you start thinking about, uh, it gets pretty crazy. Uh, so yeah, if you're trying to transfer between currencies, it doesn't work. And so the only way to do that is to go, this is an interesting question. The only way to kind of transfer, if I had Bitcoin and I wanted Ethereum, I have to go to an exchange 
a centralized exchange, like one owned by Coinbase or Gemini, and it's just like a New York stock exchange where you're trading buys and sells, literally the exact same thing. Just actually over the past couple months, we're now starting to see decentralized exchanges, which are exchanges that run themselves, and it's just a computer program. Uh, but it's an interesting question because Coinbase is like a huge name in the space, and it's one central authority that's controlling a lot of stuff, which kind of goes against the ethos. All right, let's fly through some cocktail party ammo. Number one, legal. Difficult question. And so to your point, once someone knows my addresses, they can start knowing the, the money that I moved, how much I moved. There are cryptocurrencies out there that are meant to be private and have taken extra steps to prove that they've been private. So when I send my $20 to split dinner, that's recorded. You can see our addresses. There's a cryptocurrency out there that does pooled transactions. And so when I send him $20 and she sends you $5 for coffee, we're all going to put all of our money together, and then it's all going to come out. And so I can then deniably say, like, I didn't send him $20 for dinner. All that you saw was a ton of money go into a pot and then a bunch of money go out a bunch of different ways. And so it breaks that link from one to one. And so the question is, how do you enforce this? And there is not an answer. And that's the big thing that's uh, being struggled with right now is how to enforce it. So if people trust you with their money, obviously, you're managing people's money. Right? Yes. Mm -hmm. What are the implications for you and your clients? Yeah, so if I decide it's legal. So first, I thought the question you were going to ask is if I took everybody's money and like went to Mexico, they would never get it back. They, they would, and they would, the fun thing is they would never get it back, but they could look at the SWIC capital address and slowly watch me spend their money <laughs> and, and, have nothing, and have nothing to do. It's an evolving world that buying crypto is like the one world where you can simultaneously buy it. a security, which the SEC says in they're in charge of. You can buy a commodity, which the CFTC says they're in charge of. You can buy a currency, which some countries have labeled a currency. Everybody says it's under their jurisdiction. And so it's a current debate going on. The SEC has ruled that Bitcoin and Ethereum, they're thinking, are not securities. And so that frees up that area. But going back to your question, how do you ban this? Because as long as there's computers somewhere running this, like, your money's safe. And so the U.S. can say no more computer mining, and they can try to wrap, wrap up all of these miners throughout the country, but there will be miners other else, somewhere else keeping track of the ledger. And so it's actually a, pit, a pretty powerful thing that a lot of people are worried about. People who have experienced travesties in their country where they suddenly had to flee and they couldn't take any of their wealth because it was tied up in banks. So you saw them escaping with, like, gold, and that was the only thing they could escape with to wherever they were escaping to. Suddenly, with cryptocurrency, if you can re remember that crazy random number of digits, you can move your money with you mentally anywhere in a very safe way. But there is no real way to shut it down. You can shut down the on-ramps and off-ramps of Coinbase, but then someone will find another way. And uh, Security hacks happen all the time. Since cryptocurrency have, has been created, $1.6 billion has been hacked off of exchanges. When I mean hacked, it's not the blockchain that has been hacked. It's the centralized exchange built on top of that. So if your Gmail is hacked, does, that does not mean that email was hacked. That means that Gmail is hacked. Uh, so when you read about these hacks, it's important to remember that the blockchain is not being hacked. It is whoever built the program interacting with the blockchain that has been hacked. So there's hardware devices being produced to help keep this safe. Insurance is just starting to dabble in this area, uh, which, again, is a fascinating world. How do you insure this when you can't really see it? You don't know who owns it. Uh, I can say that I lost a million dollars, but in reality, I just moved it somewhere else. Difficult world, very high premiums, very lucrative if you're an insurance company. Initial coin offerings would have been this phrase that you heard thrown around. It's kind of reinventing the way that venture capital works. Instead of having a company and selling you equity, they're pre-selling their tokens. 
And so you have companies, there's a, a big name is Filecoin, and what they've done is they've said, we think the cloud storage should be disrupted. And so instead of you paying Amazon Web Services to store your data, all of us here have sport spare space on our hard drive. What if we all rented it out? So they said, we're going to have a token that when I need to save my Excel file, I can save it redundantly across five of your computers and pay you. And we'll have a token to facilitate that exchange. And to raise money, they, had 200, they raised $225 billion for this idea. And they are working on the beta of the product, which is insane. Privacy, to the point earlier, Bitcoin is private in the sense that it's anonymized because somebody has to link you to your address, but it's not truly private. There are coins that are coming out there that are truly private. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Scaling. Bitcoin, as I mentioned, can currently do seven transactions per second. Visa does 2,000 on average and can do 56,000 max. Clearly, this is not something we're going to be paying for our Uber rides on the blockchain right now because that seven number has to get much higher. Governance, how do you make decisions on these things? Satoshi is not around to tell us what we should be doing with the protocol. Instead, it's a lot of disagreements and forks. And so there's actually coins that are thinking through like a programmatic way to make decisions. Identity, as I mentioned, imagine having your entire identity, social security and everything on the blockchain. Yes, great question. That's my last slide. Get excited. Last one is stable coins, which is the idea of this stuff is really volatile. How do you have a cryptocurrency that maintains its value and is equal and stays level all the time, which is a great economic question. There's a couple different ways to do it. There's one company that says, we'll keep a dollar in our bank account for every token we issue. There's other ones that are trying to be programmatic central banks that are going to programmatically buy and sell the currency to keep it locked in it like a dollar per coin. Super interesting stuff. Blockchain in the world, this is a slide I presented in 2013 of things that I thought were going to happen. Notice it's very money-focused and not, I hadn't even thought of the ideas of like identity and stuff like that. The thing to remember is this technology was created in 2009. I would argue three years ago, people were not leaving Google and Facebook to work in blockchain startups. Like today they are, so we're just having start of our start, some of our smartest minds start to think about what can be done with this technology. To that point, the initial hype cycle that I witnessed is everybody was like, oh my God, Bitcoin's going to replace, replace all cash and credit cards. Then everybody went the other way and was like, ah, it's not about money, it's about the blockchain. We should put blockchain on everything. Today, we're finally starting to realize it can do a little bit of both. It can do some financial things. It can do some non-financial things. I, it's doing lots of things in lots of industries. I guarantee you, go home, Google whatever industry you're in, in the word blockchain, and tons of results will come up. One of those 1,700 coins will be focused on your industry, trying to disrupt it. I come from a world of a lot of healthcare. Tokens are trying to solve the interoperability issue in terms of all the envision where all of your healthcare data should be stored on the blockchain. And no matter what hospital you go to, you can give them your private key, which will unlock all of your data uh, and suddenly it's accessible to whatever doctor you're on. That's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.